0: This is channel 253.
1: In this episode of Gimme the Mic.
0: And I know from working with some of these students, the, there's a lang- the language, it's a completely different language, right? The language of science. And, and so learning it from textbooks is, is often, there's, there's a challenge there. There's definitely um, a, a steep learning curve. But when you do science, you know, it's different. You know, I think it's it's getting them to to really participate in, in the field as opposed to just reading about it or listening or even watching.
1: Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you.
2: the mic. Give me the mic. Hello, and welcome to Give Me the Mic, a podcast of channel 253 here in the South Puget Sound. This podcast features community voices and community topics. My name is Julie Masura, and I will be hosting a number of episodes focusing on the state of the Puget Sound. I will have a series of invited guests join me to talk about their experiences studying Puget Sound and how that work has led them to their current positions. All will be connected to our neighborhood, the 253. All right, Tacoma, it's time to give me the mic. I came to Tacoma in 1975 when my father was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. I grew up in the Tacoma School District. I went to school from grades one through 12. Um, I'm a proud Lincoln High School graduate. I spent my undergraduate and graduate career at Washington State University, where I studied geology. After a number of adjunct teaching jobs jumping up and down the I-5 corridor, I returned to Tacoma to join the faculty at the University of Washington, Tacoma. I remember as a small child smelling that Tacoma aroma from the paper mill, um, eating the dirt in my backyard and not being able to swim in the water downtown Tacoma. I recall getting swimmer's itch from Wapato Lake. All these things I soon connected to the state of our environment as I taught a number of environmental science classes at the University of Washington. That's what brings me here. I wanted to share my experiences studying the Puget Sound with a number of badass women scientists from our region. We will share our connection with one another, stories of research experiences and their journeys along the way. Again, it's time to give me the mic. My guest today is Dr. Joyce dinglasan panlilio an associate professor, and she's also the chair of the Sciences and Mathematics Department's for the University of Washington, Tacoma. Joyce, welcome. And
0: uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, Julie. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Um, So so, yeah, uh, I'm, you know, many people just call me Dr. Joyce and um, I am an environmental chemist by training. So that's how I, that's at least the area of expertise for my research. Um, And um, I'm also a transplant to the Pacific Northwest I am um, Canadian also, and so proud Canadian also, and uh, but born in the Philippines. And so I've, I've kind of been moving around a little bit throughout my life, um, and uh, also happened to be probably the hardest job I've ever taken uh, is being a mother of two little people, little boys, especially um, uh, at least the past year has really been pretty intense, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and so I'm pretty excited for summer, actually, um, to maybe at least that other full-time job is they're going to decrease a little bit. I'm just going to let them run amok for the summer. I think that's what they need to do. So <laughs>
2: maybe a little summer camp or something or 12. Uh,
0: yep. Just getting them to, to re, you know, we, we did put them um, in remote instruction for the whole year. So we're going to try to slowly get them back out there to, to see people and, and play with other kiddos. So cool. we're excited.
2: Yeah. So, um, the question I love to ask, and just to start off our conversation with, uh, especially with nerdy, you know, and and really cool scientists, um, is what was the nerdiest thing that you did this past week?
0: Well, see, i've I've always I've always been accused of um, nerding too much out with the kiddos, and so they'll ask something simple, right? And so I would just take off and and make it a lecture all of a sudden. So um, my husband's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "No, you know what? You got to start them early." You gotta definitely start them early, uh, and so um, and I, because I'm a chemist, I'm a little biased, but I, I'm I'm definitely trying to get them out to also touch critters, which is not my thing. This is biology was probably the worst course for me, um, but but uh, last week I got them little caterpillars because I'm pretty sure there's stuff in my garden, but I haven't seen them, but there's definitely holes in, 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 in in my plants, but I just decided instead of trying to catch them, apparently you can buy kits where you can watch these caterpillars grow. (laughs) And, and it comes with a net too. So we're going to watch metamorphosis, um, at least right there. It's last week of school. So I'm hoping we can have a, a biology observation in the next couple of weeks, but then, you know, I balance that out with, um, a little bit of chemistry lesson all the time. And, and so we, we got this, um, you know, packing material that dissolves, (laughs) um, and, um, like styrofoam, but it actually dissolves in water. So, um, I had made a comment to them that said, you know, it dissolves in water, go check it out. So they were so excited. And so then of course, being my kids and genetics is a funny thing. They're like, mama, can we do experiments? I'm like, absolutely. So we're, we're, uh, we're going to try to do it this afternoon, um, you know, do it in hot water, cold water and vinegar oh. and see, you know, how fast it it, it dissolves. I, I even suggested oil so it can be a little messy. Um, and so um, sometimes I regret being overly enthusiastic about experiments in the house. But, you know, I think I think just hearing them shriek and giggle and get excited is, is pretty worth it. It's a lot of cleanup, though. So, yeah, um, that's. Half, half the job is, is the cleanup after it, yeah. but yeah. And how, how old are the boys? I know, but like. The the oldest one is, is finishing up first grade. So he's, he turned seven in April yeah. and the other one is, is four, but really going on 12, um, based on his rate right now. Um, and he'll be turning five in August. So, but he has no idea he's four. He, he definitely thinks he's his brother's age. So it's actually amazing to, to watch him just keep up with the older guy. So,
2: Yeah. Can I, can I share with you guys my nerdiest thing this week? What do you think? (laughs) So I think uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this in a later podcast, but one of the things I I do is uh, research um, plastic pollution and marine debris in the ocean And so this past week, you know, this is the the, the Ocean Conservancy and this is the uh, June is Ocean Month and Ocean Fest is right now happening in the Tacoma uh, area. Um, And so we had a beach survey that was sponsored by the Ikatsu Project and the Beach Watchers. And so I was like, I'm gonna go by myself and I might meet some students. I'm gonna invite some people to go with me. Who should I bring? Oh. I should bring Dr. Joyce and her two sons with me. So we <laughs> went out and we did some survey, beach survey, where we were taking little apps off the phone and we were uh, walked up and down Owen Beach down there in a uh, P- or Point Defiance Park, and we basically um categorized and surveyed for marine debris and it was so much fun and
0: and the the little guy this morning it was the first thing he when his teacher his preschool teacher asked him what did he do in the weekend and he said i cleaned up the beach he was he was very proud he was very proud
2: so and we collected 9.9 pounds of trash, um, according to our, applica- or our app. And uh, and just a, a little side note is we also touched critters. So there was a lot of um, jellyfish that basically, unfortunately, washed up on shore. That's natural. It's not a big, you know, it happens every year. But I decided I would pick one up because I don't like critters either. And we all touch those <laughs> things. It was fun. Yeah. So that was my nerdiest thing this last week. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's start. uh, Let's start talking about it. So, Joyce, backing your way up, when did you know and when did you uh, decide that you wanted to become a scientist?
0: Oh, I don't know. It's funny. I try to think about that. Um, Definitely middle school. But I had I just it came easy. Right. I mean, more so than. You know, and this was still—I was still in the Philippines—and and believe, believe it or not—is um, a so we were in, in it. Uh, it was a private school, um, and the main instruction, the language, was in English. Um, and the, my hardest, my hardest class was like Filipino. Like it was just like I just struggled, couldn't handle it, couldn't handle the reading. But science was like I got that, uh, and I just remembered um, the way the grading system of this school. And funny now that I think about it, with my kids being in. in at school around that, you know, getting to that age, um, you know, you get to that, you get, you do really well and you get this grade, right? And then if you wanted like, it's like, I guess it's like the equivalent of A, but if you want an A plus, you have to do like a special project and you can do whatever you want to do. And so I just remembered really being excited about like getting that, like, I think us, it was like E, you can have like, v s is for very satisfactory but if you want to like really get to the like 100 percent and excellent e is for excellent you have to do the special project and and the uh, the freedom of what i was given when i was like i think it was fifth grade it's like do whatever you want to in science and just do something and present it and so i i, I did uh, back then i didn't know i didn't have much resources right so i think i did like a, a some kind of a demo of the phases of the moon, and I just remembered like bringing this thing to my to my teacher, my, my science teacher, and just doing this presentation, and and just loved that opportunity, right? And um, so that's probably like the first memory I have of doing something really sciency that I wasn't told, you know, I, that I had the freedom to do it, and I think that's something that made definitely an impression, you know, sure. wanting to do science but wanting to do science kind of my way. Mm-hmm. Was sort of how things shaped, but definitely being a chemist was not on in was wasn't in the books. Uh, I was definitely one of those um, doctor wannabe, right? So I, I my trajectory during during undergrad was you know get into med school, right? Um, but at that point in Canada, there's not a lot of medical schools out there, so it was very competitive. So um typical story of you know did really well in high school, landed in freshman and tanked, just absolutely tanked. I tell my students all the time right now that they shouldn't look at my, my transcript because they probably I probably wouldn't have credibility um, right. because of the grades that I got. Um, and so the, the big trajectory really was um, not knowing I can't be competitive to apply to medical school after my undergrad. And um, I met this really cool professor in, uh, in my third year, fourth year. And it was a chemistry professor, but it wasn't like it was more applied stuff. Like it wasn't like memorize the periodic table kind of stuff. It was like, let's do experiments and let's measure things and got to touch instrumentation. And um, and my TA at that point said, well, why don't you ask? Why don't you ask um, your professor if he's if he's looking for researchers and do your do, do your master's and then apply to med school? and so that's sort of what it was and I'm like oh what and I didn't know what grad school was I had to like Mm -hmm. look it up and that was the big trajectory and started doing grad school and then the plan was just master's and then that was sort of the 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 big sort of eye-opening experience about like oh this is like science that's not just textbook and again my university was was huge so it wasn't like it's it's what I I like about you know Tacoma because here like we get students to actually do stuff um that's away from textbooks at a very at a very early um age I guess right in undergrad but in very big in very big institutions it's like here's your textbook right and maybe you get to do lab courses but you know um it wasn't until grad my master's where I got to do research and I just really fell in love with it and so I think it wasn't until then that I identified myself as a scientist um which is funny because then now what i try to make sure um when i talk to students and even when i work with um middle schoolers now is having that identity earlier is is still so much better right so but that's and now it's it's funny because then i teach my boys it's like what does mama do well Mama's a scientist yeah And then he's like, but, but I thought you were a chemist. I'm like, well, a chemist is a type of scientist. And so we, we, then, then we nerd out about, you know, the different types of scientists and stuff like that. So it's, it's really cool to actually really do reflect like my, my trajectory and then having to teach it to, to my boys. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It, as I'm listening to this, I, I want to skip
2: ahead to now is, is um, I'd like for you to share kind of the undergraduate research and, and more focusing on the freshman project that you're involved in now. So one of the things that you had mentioned was um, playing with science, right? So even on early on as an Um, uh, a middle school kid, you know, and you got to make up your own project. Can you share a little bit about the work that you're doing with the freshmen um, uh, and having them kind of be creative? Maybe they might not become science majors. Maybe they will. But why is it really important, do you think, to be able to give them that creativity? Uh, And another thing, I'd also like you to talk a little bit about the importance of mentorship and how it carries you on. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think, um, I, I think, you know, science for many um, is, is, is so abstract. Right. And, and I think, especially in my field, you know, chemistry is, is not, it's not, I always say it's, it's hard to compete with biology, right. But you're all just cute. They're fuzzy. You can pet them, you know, or you could go in a microscope and you could see stuff moving. Right. Chemicals is like, uh, you know, you can't see them unless you have an instrument and the instrument shows you a graph in that and you tell them that's a chemical right there. That means it, you could see it. So it's a lot harder, to, it's a harder sell, right? But but definitely I think, um, and, and many, and I know um, from working with some of these students that the, there's a lang- the language, it's, it's a completely different language, right? The language of science. And, and so learning it from textbooks is is. Often there's there's a challenge there. There's definitely um, a a steep learning curve, Mm -hmm. but when you do science, you know it's different. You know I think it's it's getting them to to really participate in in the field as opposed to just reading about it or listening or even watching, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that's why I, I think it's it's such a a great opportunity that we can extend students when we take them out on field trips, right? Where they can you can touch things. I mean it's the touching part and just seeing things live. Um, and so right now with the freshmen, we definitely see, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a surprise. We, there's many studies that's been done that we lose a lot of students. You know, they want, they think they want to do some kind of STEM uh, or want to study STEM, but there's something happens. We lose them at some point, um, or, you know, they have a bad experience and they just end up not pursuing it. And so what we're doing here is it's part of actually, a um, uh, National Science Foundation and NSF grant that one of our faculty members um, in the division um, received dr Erica klein and and one of the one of the components of it is definitely to support students very early on as freshmen as they come in uh, to to get a lot of experiences to really, solidify their identity as scientists to make that connection early on. And so what we do is right off the bat, we put them in a class um, where they do real research and research that impacts their lives. So what does that mean? Um, so right now our, our, our big topic is, is air quality. And so we get them to, we teach them how to sample air and then they get to choose what they want. I give them a, a, a bit of a structure, but they get to choose what their research question is. So, so a lot of these students say, like, oh, well, I want to know what, you know, I want to know the kind of air that I'm breathing in my room. And, and there are points where they wanted to compare uh, when they were, um, at least before the pandemic, when we did it the first year, one of them said, well, I want to compare my dorm room here under residence during the weekdays versus their home when they go back to the residence. So they would do, you know, we give them the, the air sampler to take home with them. We teach them how they collect samples. We bring it to the lab. They 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 do all of the preparations and then we analyze it using the instrument so they get to participate with that process mm-hmm. but this is something that often right in in large institutions it's not something that you do in the undergraduate level let alone in the first year so this is really them tr- getting getting the experience really early on yeah. and um, and you shepherd them along the way like you really do mentor them one on one they and and you know you, we make sure that they understand the steps and the data that they get, right? Because then it's like numbers. What does that mean? But it really does take time to literally, I work with them Mm -hmm. um, one-on-one to to explain to them, you know, everything from setting up the experiment all the way to like, this is the number that you get. And then presenting that to to the community, to to the colleagues and to um, to other faculty. Mentorship is so important. Um, uh, I think it's, it helps um, uh, validate that they can do this, right? They, they, um, I think definitely they end up seeing that they can. It's like I can be, I can be you in a few years, right? You are helping me, you are supporting me through this, yeah. uh, and that means a lot, especially to a lot of first generation students that we have at at the University of Washington Tacoma, uh, and so it's it's a lot of work. For, mm-hmm. for the faculty, but um, I've been working one-on-one with students for the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really rewarding when they, you can see that they're so excited about it. And one of the students actually asked me yesterday, Dr. Joyce, can I borrow the air sampler again? Because they, you know, they, he saw his data and he's like, oh, I should have done this. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's, they're gonna present their stuff tomorrow but he wants he just, I just want to know, (laughs) can I do, can I come back? And I just want to just one more time. And can I, can I do one more sample? And that to me was just like, I got this kid, I got this kid hooked and hoping that that keeps going, you know? So um, I'm hoping that there's more of that, but it definitely is something that often happens on a one-on-one basis. Right. And um, I wish we can do more of that. And I think that would be amazing if we can. So.
2: What's your, what's your thought about, you know, so as you're saying this, I mean, and again, as I, I started to ask the question about um, kind of this model, this new program that it's not something that's uncommon, you know, it's not something that is unique to us or to, to your program, but, um, but why do you think the community would be interested in, in knowing about this, you know, why, what, what's the benefit for people living in Tacoma that we're doing this kind of a focused type of a, a research project for these students and how can they get maybe involved? Think about that.
0: Well, I think, and that was one of the things that we really, um, wanted to do from, from before. And so I've, um, I've worked with a few, uh, different groups. Um, I even went to, um, worked with uh, a particular middle school in first Creek a few years ago. Um, and, and the idea is to involve the community. What does that mean? We, we would identify a project that is very much impact that kept, that impacts the community. So at that, that other project, it was going out in their local Creek and yeah. doing some measurements to, to see how the Creek is doing. The it's Creek belongs creek. to everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so just, just having their ownership, right. I mean, that's a thing. It's like, this is my area. I can take care of it. How do I take care of it by knowing the science and doing the science, right? And, you know, for some of those projects, if it's, if it's done well, it's literally involving families, right? We do community outreach events. We do um, weekend volunteers where we invite their families. And so, um, and that I think is, is powerful because, um, again, for some of these um, families, right. For some, a lot of our, a lot of the families um, it's they, 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 they don't see it. You know, they hear about what their kids are doing at school, but mm-hmm. it's kind of different when you, when they t- get the opportunity to take part in it as well. Right. It becomes yeah. a, a family activity and then it spreads out into the community. And so, you know, um, I always, I, I wish we had um, more opportunities and I know um I used to do more outreach before I had the kiddos, but now at least they're big enough that I feel now I could take them out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I think everyone should, should be watching up for those, you know, any, any programs that come out where the community is, in, is allowed to, to take part in, whether it's, whether it's a beach cleanup or, right. you know, um, that was a, the one that we did was very unique because we actually provided some instrumentation that, right. that the communities can learn about and use like, here's how to measure pH and you dip it and we actually teach the community as well how to use it and what what they're measuring, right? pH measures acidity in the water, you know, certain acidity is good for the fishies and for for you know for the whole ecosystem health and whatnot. So you get to do some of that and you get to educate outside of the classroom. And I yeah. think that's important for us to be able to be better citizens, right? Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, I think you know, I think unit Tacoma, I, one of our, we're definitely pushing community engagement as part of sort of our mission. And um, you know, I uh, it would be great that uh, we open we it, it's it, the, the university is open we have seminars and talks uh, and and we always would love to see more community members come in and, and learn about the stuff that we do you know it's, it's both community coming into us and us going out into the community and and again you know it's just this year that we haven't done any of that but we're hoping that as we as we get back after the pandemic um, that we can do more of that at outreach again.
2: Yeah. And to really get the community to buy in to really recognize, you know, that yeah. we're, we're training the new policymakers, right? We're training new, um, politicians or, or or we're training a new, you know, family um, to be able just to be thoughtful about, you know, the ways in which they live within their, uh, their neighborhoods. Wonderful. I'm just going to take a really quick break right now, um, just to um, hear from one of our sponsors.
3: Hello friends, this is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the west slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling, and you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit movetacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253.
2: Welcome back to Gimme the Mic. Thank you very much um, to our sponsors for their continued support of this podcast. So, Joyce, we spent a, a, the beginning of our podcast talking about um, some of the programs that you do and your teaching and just your approach to teaching, which has changed and evolved over time. Um, but there's one thing that I remember when we were doing a search, you know, looking for an environmental chemist, you know, something that was unique, that was really awesome. And what were they doing and their research and stuff. And so I remember. Uh, early on, is is hearing about this environmental chemist from Toronto, right, and all the work that she was doing, and and I would like for you kind of to share some of the work that you had an opportunity to work on as a, a graduate student, and then the, um, and how you kind of landed here, and how that's connected here to the Puget Sound and our Salish Sea region.
0: Yeah, and so um, so again, I remember my trajectory was kind of like you know I landed into into research sort of by accident it was going to be a stepping stone to get to med school but I, I was able to really I think you know um, luck would have it that that I was assigned to take part in this project um looking at what we call perfluorinated compounds and, and so what these compounds are it's, it's a really big family of compounds that primarily has the element fluorine on it and and when fluorine is bound to the element carbon they're it's very strong but these are primarily surfactants and surfactants are chemicals that is the best way i could describe it is like soap right uh, what that does is it really allows you to kind of mix oil and water together so what does that mean it, it allows what does soap do it allows things to it allows you to clean things really well right so that you rinse with water but with the soap even the oily stuff comes along with it Right, And so these compounds are, um, are essentially a big family of surfactants, but what, what they are, and I learned it really early on when I started the research, is they're actually ev- in everything and anything. But one of the primary uses for them is actually to literally for surface treatment. So you can put them on, on carpets, on fabric, you know, textiles, surfaces, basically as a protector. Right. So we don't want it. We want it to be waterproof and we also want it to be dirt proof. And so it does that both. Right. And so um, so I, I actually call it the biggest irony in everything, because it's it's really compounds that are intended. Like we like to use it to keep things clean, to keep our world clean. The problem with them is they're great chemicals. But the problem that we discovered is if it does get into the environment it's so strong. Remember I talked about the carbon fluorine um, bond together becomes so strong that it actually doesn't break down. And so the irony about it is, is, is it gets out there because you know we, we want to keep things clean, but then what's happening is we're actually kind of, it just kind of stays in the environment and it becomes really persistent. And so this was back, I got into this, oh my gosh, it's, it's I guess, two decades now. So this was early right. two thousand. And um, I came in at such a at the time when literally the, the study was just we started to find a lot of things about it. And so my particular lab group was fortunate enough. so we were working with Environment Canada at that time. and um, we literally had polar bear livers, but it was from a study. That was really intended to look for pesticides, like PCBs, right? Polychlorinated biphenyls, a lot of the traditional legacy pollutants that we've known about for years that we stopped making because we knew it was bad. And so we just had this surplus and and, and it wasn't my work, but another grad student um, was just like, well, we have this and we're we're now starting to track these new set of compounds. Let's go look, find them. Let's look for them there because it's like it's one sample anyway. And sure enough, we ended up finding them in those polar bear livers you found and what did you find in the livers We found the uh, the perfluorinated compounds these are facts right? And, right and the idea is yeah. it was it was like was that a mistake why was why was it there these are these are chemicals that are um synthetic right we make them it's man-made oh and God. these are polar bear livers from the arctic it was from the canadian arctic right. and so that that was the start of sort of this question of like how did they get there Right. That was like the biggest question that our group um, ended up tackling. And, And from there, right, we ended up finding that there's other compounds that are very similar that can actually get spread like the entire globe, actually, and end up in in something as remote as the Arctic. And so being part of that was really cool because it was like right at the time where people were just really getting excited about it. The chemical companies were getting upset over it because all of a sudden it's like, oh no. Oh no, this is a problem happening. And being, you know, one of my very first experiences as a grad student was trying to, you know, showing some of my experiments and, and seeing like a row of industry people, because, you know, it's a science, it's a science conference scientists kind of dress casual, but then you, you know who the industry people are because they're yeah. all in suits and ties <laughs> and they're in the front row. And, and the moment I finished my, it was my very first talk as a master's student. And, um, you know, the moment I, I say, and and I enjoy your questions, like all hands go up and I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And, and again, very thankful for mentorship from my supervisor back then that, that I was told that this is to be expected. They're going to try to really question your data. And it was such, it was nerve wracking. But it was such a great experience as a grad student, um, being able to defend your work like that. So I think all of that really got me excited in the field, excited to do the research, because people were very much interested in what I was doing. Um, And then the regulators, right? Even, so these were industry folks, and then even government folks, right? Environmental, you know, people from Environment Canada at that point were just like watching, you know, what are these new set of compounds that this group is is looking at? Um, And so- that's really what what kind of got me into it Um, really was my group um, at the University of Toronto was one of the first ones to really be looking to really look at these set of compounds. And and then when I interviewed and when the opportunity came up um, at University of Washington Tacoma, um, I looked it up and it wasn't something that was very relevant in the region yet. And so that was one of the things, but I knew better. Because these are essentially ubiquitous. It's everywhere, right? right. So um, I knew that it would have been, it, it was if I looked here around our Puget Sound in the Puget Sound region, that it will be here as well. And sure enough, as I was fortunate enough to um, uh, get the job at University of Washington Tacoma, one of the very first work that I did um, was to just survey you know, surface waters along the Puget Sound region. And, um, and I knew they were going to be there. Uh, yes, and and you know that I, I I'm a self declared lab rat. I I don't is, I don't go to the field normally. People send me samples all the time, and so I have I still have freezers of muscles that I still need to analyze right now. Um, and and water from and, the people's down. The muscles from the, are from here. Yep. Yep. and I've I've because I've been doing a lot of admin work. I haven't been in the lab, um, unfortunately, as much as I want to be. But I'm I'm itching to be. The lab is my happy place, and so I'm looking forward to getting back and doing some more measurements about that. So um so yeah so that's sort of been um, it's it's something that's becoming more relevant right now in our region because um, primarily they're also one of the key ingredients in aqueous firefighting foams. So if you guys have heard of a triple F. And mm-hmm. um, typically that um, military um, uses it quite a bit to, to really when, it, when there's um, chemical fires, airports have them and it's literally that white foamy stuff that I would spray over so that the fire gets killed really. It, it's still the best material to sort of like kill the fire, right? So basically it suffocates the oxygen so that the fire gets killed. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is they used it quite a bit in training. And so, um, and remember it's a surfactant. So the surfactant really like covers stuff up so that oxygen can't get in. But after every training, what do they do? They just kind of wash, rinse it out down the runway of airports and it gets into the soil. And guess what? It gets into the groundwater. But remember they were very persistent so they end they end up being there for a while and so now what we're happening and you probably have heard um the acronym now that we use for these compounds is pfas p f a s or perfluorinated or perfluoroalkyl substances because it's a large family yeah. basically lots of fluorine on there and right. now it's we're finding it in groundwater it's, mm. We're finding it in drinking water, yeah. also, and that's um, we've we've had a few issues in Issaquah in Whidbey Island um, mm. in the past couple of years that it's definitely in the drinking water, uh, and so it's been very much um, an issue in some of the places that is very much near uh, uh, an airport or uh, or uh, you know um, any place where they do a lot of training for for fire um, um, control and stuff like that, and so a lot of um, we the Department of Ecology here in Washington is really looking at, um, um, potentially, it's not quite getting regulated yet, but um, it's definitely on the radar. And also, um, it's also in food packaging. So remember I said it also repels oil. Uh And so it's also very typical um, material that gets used in those, you know, I don't know, um, sandwich papers or hamburger wrapping, Right. Yeah. So that you're not going to get soaked with oil after. So that has been one of the first things that really, because it has direct implication for human exposure, yeah. that, that is where people are like, no, no, no. I we don't want this chemical to potentially be uh anywhere near food so that it prevents exposure to humans. And so that's actually been regulated here in our state um yeah. fairly recently. But that's the compounds that I that really got me into research, and that's what I do. And I'm not teaching or I'm not, um, administrating in my division, in my lab at the University of Washington Tacoma.
2: As I listen to this, I mean, I, we're convinced, right? I'm convinced that it's ubiquitous, meaning it's every, you know, anywhere you look, right? And there's, there's more research we could talk about for another hour or so, but, but one of the things that I was thinking as you were talking about this, um, is like, what are the implications to two things? Okay. The ecosystem health, but the other thing, which always gets regulators really excited about, right, and lawmakers and policymakers, what are the implications? I mean, so what? You know, does it harm humans? Do we, what are the toxic um, kind of um, effects on living organisms, coal communities, and then maybe humans?
0: Right. And that's always, I always, you know, I always one, hear yeah. myself tell my students, right? It's like, it's, you know, something can be toxic but if it's stuck in a bottle and and sealed and there's no exposure right you know the danger is not as imminent right, right. and for these compounds it is out there right it is and, and and in fact what i failed to mention is one of the things that really got people talking right. about it is that every single human blood sample that's been analyzed contains some of we've found these chemicals there
1: right. isn't
0: any of we can't find a clean or a true blank sample because they are everywhere. They're everywhere in very low amounts. Um, what's still to this day, and again, I've already I've been doing the research on this for more than 20 years now, and it's, it behaves very differently than other contaminants that we've known, right? And, and that right. is because the, the toxicity. So right now it's potentially carcinogenic. Um, so it, it, it primarily targets the liver. Um, it has also some, they've, we've seen some reproductive effects. And so basically in some animals, some species that it definitely is, um, if the mom is exposed, it can be passed on some toxicities, deformities, reproductive effects uh, onto the next generation. Right. Um, and and there's a whole variant. And, and in fact, I would say that even toxicologists really can't agree on a primary toxic effect of these compound. And so there's just many, right? And, and I think that's sort of the, if there was one primary effect of this compound or these family of compounds, it probably would have been regulated by now, but yeah. but it hasn't. It's sort of like you know they they studies vary, and so people can't still scientists really can't really identify the, it, the list seems to keep getting longer yeah. as far as the effects of it, and so um, but you know but I think I think where folks are, are going in as far as what people are thinking about is. You know, we know it's doing some kind of harm. You know, um, you know, it's not. It's maybe it's, it's not as drastic as others, but I, I think it goes back to: Do we it, are the use of these compounds really that crucial for us for society? Yeah. Right. right. Um, and so that's where kind of I, I know some some folks are now leaning towards. Well, if it's something that we can do without, right? And and it has sort of um, and it has some some effects some not great effects towards our ecosystem or to human health um then 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 maybe we shouldn't really be using them or or have them or or you know and yes. definitely maybe we start regulating them so that's right. sort of wh- where where things are at it's def- yep. if you look at the toxicology of these things there's a laundry list of them and it varies depending on the species of and course um too, right the
2: yeah. health of the organism too so if you have like versus, you know
0: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And, and remember, I mentioned that we do find it in blood. Well, we also know that we, we, we do eliminate it eventually it just takes a really right. long time. Right. But the problem that folks have is um, and we don't know yet. Well, if you have constant input, so if it's in your water, right, yes, your body is eliminating it. But if you're constantly drinking water that has these things in it, then what is going to be the long term effect? And, and we're right. not there yet. Right. It's it's still we're still trying to figure out what those um, potential human impacts are. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, It's, it's the same story with all the pollution and there's such a, uh, there's such a whole history of pollution issues in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is one that's, that's really um, definitely something that's worldwide you know, and how it got there through the water, through the ground, through the air, you know, that's, this is an amazing um, project that you're still really immersed in. And it's really has the same theme as the work when we do with plastic microplastics and, you know, trying to, you know, what, what does it do exactly? You know, well, we know that it, that it exists, right? Is it persistent? Yes. Does it cause harm? Well, there are these human, physio- or not even human, physiological creatures that are designed to take in and eliminate waste that they don't wanna use. And so it's, it's really figuring out that impact. And I think that communities often want us to say, it's bad because of this and we need to get rid of it. We can't say that. We can say that these are the things that we observe as scientists. And now it's time for us to continue to do the research and to look for alternatives, you know? And I love that, that was your message. Great.
0: And I, I remember telling my students very early on, it's like, what, what was the, what, one of the very first things that I needed to buy moving here into Pacific Northwest? Well, it's like a nice waterproof jacket. Right. right. I mean, cause you know, I'm, I mean, I, I, I moved from Toronto and you know, that was snow, but here I came in, it was like, oh my gosh, my very first winter was fall. Winter was like, what did I do? Like I moved and it was just gray, but that was like, To winter of two thousand eight or fall, and it just rained from like September to March, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" So I remember going to REI. I didn't even know where REI was, you know, that first year I was here, and bought like I need a good waterproof jacket. I wasn't, I was never the umbrella kind of gal. And it occurred to me, it's like, "Oh my gosh!" Right? This thing is is treated with the same compounds that I've been, I've I've been looking at, right? And and they're and it's, we need it here. I would, I will make that argument. Like it's something that we really need to make our life better here. And so, you know, I still, I I, I definitely am, am so aware of sort of that, like that like, these are the compounds, that, but I know, but it's so good. It keeps me dry. Well, I'm outside. And yet I know that there are sort of implications of, of these chemicals out there. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, that was one of the things that I said, well, I think I moved to the Pacific Northwest just, you know, to really have that, That consumer kind of consumer (laughs) scientist clash. Uh, And it's really, it was really hard. Um, Buying the house and all of a sudden doing your floors. Right. And they would be like, oh, you know, or buying a car. And I still remember, um, you know, being in the car dealership and they wanted to like, oh, you want us to treat it? With you know these protectors, and I'm like no, and my husband was the one like no, don't even mention that to her, like no, <laughs> yeah, no do no. <laughs> um, And so you know, and that's I think one of the things that I do want to you know part of the you know the researcher in me that that works with the with the the teacher in me is, is definitely trying to get students and people in general to really be better consumers, right? Um, and I don't think I think um, the message. Uh, I haven't I've been trying to send out that message that, you know, there's a lot of power being a consumer. Right. And we just haven't learned to really use that. Like if we're educated enough to know where we're putting our money in, um, I think that that would make a difference that would dictate to the chemical industry Um of, of to make better better materials that um that can do both right hopefully i'm i'm pollyanna about this right like you know i am not i i am a chemist so i know that we can't live chemical free i wish we could but um i like my house clean i do right i have two kids who just constantly drops anything and everything. Um, but I still think that we're, we, we can be good about it. We can make good chemicals awesome. that can make our lives better. Yeah. And and we're smart enough to do that. We just really need to invest the time in, in designing those things. And so yeah. that's what yeah. at.
2: the business school. I, I had a conversation with the business school. Um, and, and that's, you know, kind of the new kind of, um, phase that businesses are going into is looking at consumerism and how we can affect industry to be more environmentally conscious absolutely that's a great message and as scientists would you agree that we have that opportunity to support you know that vision to to make sure we just give them the facts we don't they can interpret it and really give them the stuff you know i want to back up to the car dealership you know people love that new car smell and I want to say, well, actually, that's really detox. So you know, it's it's releasing toxic gas <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's and stuff, But that's <laughs> cute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to spray that around in your cars? No. Well,
0: so. it's funny. You remember that that project that we were doing with the students, the for freshmen, and so many of them. I kept telling them, like, you guys like your scented candles. Well, guess what? Those are volatile organic <laughs> compounds. And so, so many of them actually were like, oh, can I do that? Can I like test the the, the can? I'm like, that's so a couple of them actually they they did that cuz apparently they like lighting candles in their room and so i'm like well Weird. there goes so there goes your formaldehyde and they they saw that <laughs> they it's, saw that on their data <laughs> so they got
2: fun. volatile organic compounds they've right? got so those um, are vocs right? formaldehyde yeah,
0: formaldehyde yeah um they have formaldehyde acetone formaldehyde and acetone are are the top two hits that they found at least this year when they did a few of their indoor um indoor air sampling chemicals um projects it's kind of it was really neat that they were horrified you know but um and i said well you know it's it's good to know and um and some of them are testing like oh what if i open your windows i'm like well let's test that and sure enough concentrations are much lower when they have circulation inside their houses so
2: but remember when we had students go to the bus station oh my goodness
0: Yep. So they were also do Yeah. So there's a couple, right. They, I, I, a lot of them were, I think it's because I, I did mention sort of the scented candles and those plug those you know, those air, oh, yeah. plug-in yeah. things. Yep. Yeah. And so they really got curious because they thought it was a good thing. Cause you smell, makes you smell good. Smell. I'm like, Oh, um, and, and, but a couple did do some, um, outdoor air sampling also to determine sort of impact of transportation but one of the things that was really cool in some of them that they did was um they were trying to do residential and and, um residential in downtown areas and the concentrations are the same and what i was telling them is um well guess what we're under a pandemic people are not going to work. Oh, and so yeah. in fact the residential areas were a little bit busier because people are more confined in their own sort of local neighborhoods, right? right? And so their data was actually one of the students data was just like this is this is great. This is what actually we actually would expect because of the how the behavior is at the society right now. I said, yeah. you know, future work is like let's test it out next year when people are back to their normal behaviors going into work and see what that number now looks like when they if they analyze at the same time of the year. So
2: I'm going to nerd out. I apologize to our audience, but how long were they doing the sampling? Was it just a week or was it a month? They did a week. They had about okay. two, uh, a window okay. of a week to do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I've done the same kind of work, as you know, you you helped me put that experiment together for my atmosphere and air pollution class. Um and, and we saw a huge impact, but I was also teaching it, um, you know, a couple of years back when we weren't in the pandemic. So when we were comparing downtown and right outside the school building versus their homes, there was yep. a big difference. So that's neat to hear. We'll see how long that lasts, of course, now that we're yep. going back to school but. Joyce, this is awesome. but before before I let you go, there's two things I want to do, but I want to actually come back and and try to um, where could the audience learn about um, this type of work? What's a really good? Um, do you have any um, suggestions for places where people can go to learn a little bit more about this and maybe even have some um, uh, gifts offer maybe some alternatives, you know, or some, changes in our behaviors that we could, you know, lessen the, the need or the, um, the demand for these products.
1: Uh,
0: and so definitely these, uh, so for these particular compounds that I'm, I'm looking at, so they're um, again, you'll often see the acronym PFAS or PFAS. It's department of ecology is, is really all over them right now. Um, and what's really good about um, what they're doing um, is to, put out a lot of information out there, primarily through their website, but, but it's actually good. I love how, and I've looked at these, um, I'm part of the advisory board looking at these, uh, some recommendations for these chemicals. And, um, I love how they're, they're very much trying to communicate it, um, in a way that's um, simple and, and not getting lost with, with, with the jargon of it all. Cause that to me, it, it can definitely, um, reach more people. Um, a lot of, um, Nonprofit organizations, um, um, toxic free. I think Toxic Free Future. I think is one of them. Right. Um, that's definitely a group that's been very active with outreach stuff. Um, but it's it's being really. I think it's been a really interesting sort of ride for me watching sort of the before it was just like we were the only ones, we were the only group, and I was still in Toronto who was interested in it. Then you know the industry got like started, I guess, panicking is the word I used um, a little bit and then regulators. And then now, and then having moved from Toronto to over here and now it's, it's really, I I feel like it's, it's coming out now more mainstream um, because of the issues that we've seen here locally in our state Um, that there's really, uh, there's really lots of information out there now. Um, I haven't, um, definitely I haven't had a chance to, to do, um, uh, some of the, you know, we, we always have, we're very good. It's one of the things we do. I'm really proud of it. Eat of Tacoma where we go out and, and talk to the community with some of our, um, just what do we call it? Our, our grit city, say grit city, think and drink kind of, um, and so look for those opportunities where, you know, one thing that I would love to let, folks know is is scientists always love to talk about their work. Right. And, um, at least one thing that, that we've gotten better now is we, we, at least with, at least you maybe I am, I'm lucky with, with the company I keep, but, you know, before I was very much trained where we, we do this Sharing or communicating with just fellow scientists and conferences, right? That's but great. now we we are able to go out into the community and talk about it more. You know, I love going out um, when we when we could before the pandemic. Again, you know, I would go out and help recruit for our program in um, in our local high schools. Yeah. And the first thing I do is talk about the work that I do in my lab because I said I love getting students in. I mm. love working with the students and getting them to really be doing about work that is out there like that people know about people care about because it is something that's happening right now and it's really relevant to to the times um, to our times and so I think that that makes a connection with 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 students right it's like people care about this kind of work and and I think we're in a very I, partially I always say that we're very fortunate to be where we where we live right now right we're we've got the mountains we have got the waters surrounding us and and because of that and and knowing the impact of these of these chemicals in the ecosystem that means more i think we're we're in it we're in the middle of this beautiful place and and hopefully that's the one thing that we can make connections with our community about that you know we have a responsibility to really protect that and uh, part of that is really being aware of these chemicals and, and what it's doing Yeah. Um, and so we're gonna and that's what drives me anyway yeah. and so you know and and letting people know about it
2: yeah yeah, and well, and another thing too is this podcast, right? Like you're like yeah, one of my first I thought of, yeah, is really just to get this out to the community and and to talk about this, and so absolutely, um, and we'll we'll include some of this stuff in the program notes that people will make sure we have some information for folks. So, um, and then one thing I, I I've been noticing, you know, sometimes those late night commercials with the new pans, you're they they're like pfas
0: free. They're like it's actually yeah. into the mainstream where you see. And, that. It, and it's funny. That's always one of the things I get asked all the time. Is like, yeah. um, Doctor Joyce, do, do, you, <laughs> yeah. do you do you not have nonstick pants? I'm like, I I'm married to a chef, right? We need at least one good one, right? right? One good that has that Teflon because you know he likes his perfect omelets and and I enjoy eating them. So it's it's great. Um, yeah. But you know, the moment that that they start degrading right you you got to you got to toss it out and so so the the main message is i i have one but it's you do end up having to to get a really good one that's you know you know really manufactured well so that the chemicals right. stay and yeah. it's and you need to take care of it yeah. um so that it doesn't get scratched or dinged up um and and then you use that for years and and yeah. that should be okay so but that's one of the most common common questions I get asked. Like, yes, yeah. I, and I always say, I like my waterproof jacket and I still have one really good nonstick pan.
2: Yeah, that yeah. you're not allowed to use, right? Only Joel- I'm not,
0: I'm not allowed to, <laughs> to wash it either because it's really with the washing.
2: So I just want to thank you, Joyce, so much for joining us today. It was so much fun hearing your stories and about the work that you're doing today. Um, this is so awesome. And I cannot wait to share um, this, this uh, interview with our uh, community. Um, And listeners of Give Me the Mic, stay tuned for additional conversations with badass women scientists in the Puget Sound. Thank you so much for tuning in.
1: Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic as part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's Speed Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.